Welcome back to the overlap. It is Monday, February 8th. We've made it. You know what I, I realized, Rian, the other day? Um, actually, this morning. We've made it a month since basically the insurrection attempt in the U.S. Um, and it feels like it's been about six years. Um, so <laughs> 2020 extra time in 2021 is just still unhinged. It is just way too long. We're in like 120 plus now at this point, and I'm not. I'm not feeling it. Um, but anyway, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, it. I don't know if this still fits into the extra time thing or not, or if it's kind of always the marker that it's a new year by the fact that Tom Brady won another Super Bowl. I can't tell if that just means we're reliving the same years, or it means it's just another year and it's and roll again yesterday and and one again and um and <laughs> yeah <wow>. not... <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it's we listen, couldn't it's even one get a really good super bowl game <laughs> yeah true <laughs> we, we couldn't even get a fun super bowl game in during no. the uh during the quarantine i would have been kind, more or less okay with him winning it if uh the game was just more entertaining it was it was finished after <laughs> two and a half quarters basically yeah yeah it was actually kind of insane um not to go all stat heavy on uh soccer or a, you know a real football podcast um but in american football world patrick mahomes ran what like almost 500 yards yesterday just running out of the pocket <laughs> um, backwards and in circles backwards and sideways and and literally putting himself horizontal to try and throw touchdowns that should have been caught like twice but yeah, that he was, was in prison sad. yesterday. Yes. Oh they my had God. my guy looking like they had my guy looking like Frogger for like four <laughs> quarters, bro. <laughs> Yo, you remember there was like when he first came onto the Chiefs, like Andy Reid would tell people in like the media that he sounds like Kermit and he just embraced oh it. My so he really just did him so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was he was that pretty to watch um but the weekend i thought the weekend was good I, i'm not gonna lie like some people obviously will have their opinions but like i thought the week yeah was good. it was it was a weird it was a weird one I, i'm oh as expected people yeah. were no 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 well, well it was a weird one the perception of it right like people were were very upset about i saw people were very upset about the sound quality and maybe i just didn't notice it yeah. that much honestly but but i mean if that was what was up i could totally i would i can sympathize with people being upset about that yeah. But I mean, no, the sets true. were cool. The sets oh, were cool. Yeah. Like, dude, the, uh, the and... memes that came out of the, the beer room <laughs> were oh, priceless. I you mean, can't get uh, yeah, that beer room was an awesome idea too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As like a performance, that's a that's an awesome idea. Um, he put seven yeah, his... dollars into that. That's nuts. Absurd! Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> he was he seemed very that. lively. I'll say that. <laughs> Oh yes, that's one way to put it. No, it was it was very entertaining. I'm I'm happy for him as a as a fellow Ethiopian man. I was uh I was very happy to honestly see that. Oh, I didn't even know. I didn't even yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some some Ethiopian people don't claim him, but you know we we take what we can get. <laughs> so, but anyway, Rian, why don't we move on to um to things that were actually somewhat entertaining over the weekend? Uh, let let's start in the footballing world in Liverpool. 
let's let's start with the Liverpool Man City game, the biggest game of the weekend, right? This game has many narratives. We are we are a fan of narratives here here at the overlap. And this game was filled with either kind of like a a, a winner go home mentality. It felt at least coming into it that it was like a semifinal. And it didn't, at least in my opinion, in the first half deliver a semifinal-esque performance, but the second half was very lively, uh, in my opinion. And it was genuinely one-sided, not just, you know, when those three goals were scored, basically. Um, but where is your head at with Manchester City and Liverpool? And let's start with Liverpool for a second. A team now City in fourth, right, that are teetering, on finishing outside of the top four. This is a team now after watching this game, Rion, that you're concerned may even drop out of the top four. I can't believe I'm saying that, but is that a concern? No, I mean, we, we set this game up going into it as like some sort of like judgment day sort of thing for uh, Liverpool. And, and if it was that, then, you know, Skynet won. The machines are taking over. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think and they won by sports. a lot, and they. <laughs> Same Yo, thing, I mean, Skynet, the machines, the machines are taking over. Oh, oh, oh! Yeah. From yep, Terminator. That's why you ignore me. Yeah, I know. Just ignore <laughs> me. Continue. But, but no. Um, in terms of their title hopes, it, it's done. I, I think we can throw that out for Liverpool at least, and um, I mean for. For everything except the actual mathematics of it, it feels like it's done for just about 19 other teams in the league. Um, but I, I don't think there's this sort of long-term worry for Liverpool that, you know, similar to what happened in Klopp's final season with Dortmund, that this is all just going to like fall off um, and just kind of implode on itself. I, I, I do... I do think cautious of what is happening in the rearview window um, of the top four. I think we'd still bet on them to finish above Leicester. Uh, um, I think we're we're maybe losing some hope that, not losing hope, I should say, we're, we're not sure anymore that they'll finish above Manchester United. But uh, I think we would still bet on them to finish above Leicester City. But it has to be said that the, the, the chasing pack, um, Chelsea has stabilized and and been a bit bit more positive, been more positive the last couple of weeks. Spurs have been up and down recently, but again, as long as they have Kane and Son, that they're, they're going to have a chance, right? Um, but the thing is with Liverpool this this season. And we've tried to compare what's been the difference this season and last season. I think one of the biggest glaring issues about them that that would be the biggest area of concern um, from a finishing top four standpoint is the mistakes that lead to goals for them this season. That last season, they had 10 mistakes that led to goals, fourth fewest in the league. This season, they already have 13 leading to goals, and that's first in the league. Allison himself had one mistake that led to a goal last season. He's got four already this year, and two of them came against Manchester City, to be fair to him. but um, And also to be fair to him, 
we don't have to touch on too much what like what what went wrong in those situations it's very obvious and we don't expect that to ever happen with Allison again so so we're not there's not a major worry there it's just kind of the symptom of of kind of the whole team imploded in this in this game um but yeah it's just it's it's cutting out those mistakes and it's i don't know finding ways to to keep themselves in the game more right um i don't know at least how are you feeling about them i think that Liverpool are one of those teams that we associate with one thing, and that's a, 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 a just such a rigid focus and mentality on always going 110%. Like, they're a team that statistically, right, especially last season, ran, I think, the most in the Premier League across the entire season. They're a team that you associate with a Jurgen Klopp-style play that constantly just never give up. But it felt like in this game, in the first half, in my opinion, I thought Liverpool were the better side. I thought Liverpool had more chances. They looked more dangerous on the wing. I think in large part because of the combination of the front three looked very reminiscent of last year. I thought Firmino got into excellent positions in a false nine area outside the team. I thought that Mane was able to take on, excuse me, wingers one-on-one pretty efficiently. Um, And I think that, Zinchenko probably did a better job of containing Mosala than I think any other player did, quite frankly, on, on the flanks. Um, but at the same time, their interchange looked like fresh. It looked like there was a fresh injection of energy there. And that was really encouraging. And we can talk about the penalty call all day. Uh, that will always be a, a point of contention. But what's more interesting to me is that after that penalty – this Liverpool team didn't turn it up a notch. Like, it's not like, it felt like they retreated. And maybe there's something to be said about the quote-unquote Manchester City Death Star, as Riyadh likes to call it. Um, Are they kind of coming into their own form? But I I just, I I can't get past this nagging feeling that Liverpool retreated in that game. That's It was so unlike them to sit back and absorb energy and pressure. And I think that was perfectly encapsulated when Tiago was brought off for Shakiri. Um I just And Curtis I, Jones. And, and Curtis, Curtis Jones. Jones. Yeah. His, his I think it's so underrated how, the effect that he has on this team because because he's one of the few ball carriers on the team. I think I've talked about this before. I think it's him and Nabi Keita are their best in terms of actually advancing the ball forward from midfield. And it was a weird one to take him off, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And nothing made sense to me. It felt like Klopp kind of resigned the game after the the second and especially after the third goal. Um, and it was it was just unlike them, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, and look, we talked about this offline, um, Elias, but a big difference at least the flow of games for, for Liverpool this season, right, has been their inability to take the lead in a lot of games. Uh, this is for those stats from a Twitter account done by one of Sheffield United's um, data analysts. And he noted that last season, Liverpool took the lead in 29 of the 38 Premier League games, averaged 
2.8 points per game in those games. They outperformed their XG when the game was tied or they had the lead in those games. And they had a Premier League high 44 minutes per game that they would be leading. So leading for almost half the game last season. This season, they've taken the lead in 12 of 22. They've gotten 2.3 points in those games. They're leading on average 30 minutes per game now, and they're underperforming their XG when the game is tied or they have the lead. And it's just it's just kind of another study, I think, on how much the strategy, and not even the strategy maybe, but the, the psychology of teams, of coaches, of, of how everything can change in the game says the first goal matters so much and there's the stats for it and and i mean now we might be able to say that the first goal matters for liverpool more than any other team because we don't have these stats don't have these stats on any other team at the moment but it definitely matters for liverpool and they haven't been able to get control of games this season and they've only shown a few times um looking at that tottenham game where they were able to keep fighting till the end and grab a win from a draw. And um, they just haven't done that enough this season, whereas they were so all-time level good at it last season. You know, while you were saying that, I, I think I, I can see that beca- this becoming a Manchester United-type situation, not like post-Alex Ferguson. I'm talking specifically in the middle of his reign when he replaced, manager, or not managers, but assistants and and tacticians and rejuvenated the squad i'm not saying that liverpool need a a wholesale revamp but i am saying that maybe there's an argument to be made and i'm probably going to make this argument that they need a a kind of a a freshness about them in terms of maybe well i guess we should wait for diego jota but maybe giving more chances to different variety of players especially in the midfield and i was thinking also the striker position but i i think that there's just that that little bit of chemistry and um it was that that energy that's missing from one not key signing but someone with a drive to to actually push them forward both yeah. literally and and figuratively so i I mean, listen. I don't. This is this is a, a risk for Liverpool to fall out of the top four right now. I think that they they are a team that got a major major wake up call this this past weekend and dropping <laughs> dropping three games in a row, or losing three games in a row at home is ridiculous for Liverpool's current standard. Um, it's been almost but, sixty years since nineteen sixty three that they yeah, lost that, three straight games at Anfield. But I guess this is the old cliche, right? That it's basically only up from here. So I do still think that they they stay in the top four. But Rian, why don't we uh, why don't we get some some expert opinion from uh, a professional and expert of uh, of a fatherly caliber, if you will? And uh, let's yeah, let's hear from your dad on on the Manchester City side. Now, back for what I might be his third appearance he might be his fourth appearance i i'm not sure what what the record is right now for most appearances yet but he's got to be at least second at least top two welcome back dad 
our Thank resident you. Manchester City fan and still one of, one of maybe two experts. Yes, Manchester City expert, of course. Well, he, he should be an expert if he's a fan, too. But, um, Dad, how are you doing? Well, I, I mean, I think, as you would imagine, uh, I'm doing pretty good, doing a lot better than after the um, last time that I was on. I think that was the top in the game. Um, but, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm very happy with the way the team has uh, progressed throughout the season. So, yeah. That's great. And why wouldn't you be happy that Manchester City have won 14 games in a row in all competitions, 10 in a row in the league? They have not lost a game in all competitions since the 2-0 loss to Tottenham back in, was that November now? So we're looking at yep. three months, coming on three months of, of unbeaten soccer and i mean what do you feel like has been the biggest difference in in the time between that the last time we spoke to you and now city are starting to pull away now right they're 10 points up on the team that's been their most direct rival for the last three years with a game in hand by the way and Um, they've got a chance to go, I think, six points. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I think six points ahead of... Eight points. Eight points? Eight points ahead of Manchester. Yeah, oh, you're right. right. Yeah. Get it right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> eight points. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Eight points. Don't be shocking with two points here now. <laughs> <laughs> eight, eight, eight points ahead of Manchester United if they're able to win their game in hand. I mean, Dad, what do you... From your concerns after that Tottenham game to now... What have you been I most think, encouraged by? I think the biggest difference, right, is our defense. Um, and, and even in the Tottenham match, the defense was like, just starting to come together. Like Diaz and, and Stones were at the very beginning of that partnership that, that I think we can all agree is is a pretty effective partnership. I don't know that I have seen a defensive um, partnership between the two center backs uh, at Manchester City since since I've you know begun watching them. Um, company was was pretty good. Um, he he didn't always have a, a partner that was as intuitive with what he wants to do as the way it appears that Diaz and Stones are. And with that, it has given more confidence to the, the goalkeeper, who was pretty confident in the first place. I mean, he was confident even before we had a proper defense. But that has given him more confidence. And and then the two, the two um, fullbacks, they're they're playing off of those two, uh, off of the two central defenders um, in DS and Stones, which they're they're a very cohesive unit. And, and even when we switch out the pullbacks and, and you know we start Cancelo and and, and Walker, or we start um, Zinchenko and and Cancelo, the constant is is the 
is the pairing of, of stones and, and DS. And that, I think, is the biggest difference with City from, from that Tottenham match to, to where we are now. And with that being said, it has given the midfielders and, and the, the attacking players a lot more freedom to do what they what they have to do, even though they they play defense because it's something that that city that that Pep, you know, preaches. It doesn't matter whether you're an attacker or a midfielder or a defender; you have to play defense. But it gives those forward players a little more freedom to go forward, knowing that that the back line is a lot stouter than it was even. And I will go even as far back as our 100-point season when we won the league. I, we did not have a, a back defensive pairing as good as, as Stones and Diaz. So to me, that's the biggest difference from the beginning of the season, quite obviously when we didn't have any defense at all, to now. And, and another thing is I think that in, in a way, I think we used the first month of the season, maybe, you know, month and a half probably of the season to to get into to shape and get back our our um, our mental, you know, get back mentally ready and physically ready, given the fact that that you know there was no off season for us pretty much. So yeah. But I, I yeah, think it's it's defense is this like that to me that's the biggest reason. Yeah, it's it's looking like the best uh, center center back pairing in the league, definitely, and and it might rival rival any center back pairing in Europe. Um, DS has been obviously, I, I would say that. I'm biased here, but I but I say between him and Thiago Silva seem like the two best. Have seemed like the two best center backs in the you're, league you're this biased. season, but <laughs> but um, but uh, the, the, one of the players that you're saying that the attackers that are really benefiting from this foundation that's being set by by City's solid back line is got to be Phil Foden, of course, who's breakout season, of course, and and putting himself in really really good shape to possibly start. Um, in England's first game at the Euros, just from smarter scout who who kind of looks at underlying metrics of players and and one of their features is that they're able to kind of show similar players in terms of those metrics throughout the season and comparing them comparing a player in this season to one that played in in prior seasons and Foden's numbers are most similar to Leroy Sané. Sadio Mane and Raheem Sterling's 2018-2019 seasons. And a fun one in there is Lorenzo Insigne's 2017-2018 season. So it's just the the level that he's hitting already at 20. And, and it should be known that even in Sané's 2018-19 season, he was 22 at that point. So I, the sky's the limit. We know that. But that did, did you see him stepping into the David Silva role this quickly, this immediately. And I, I'm 
probably just probably just recency bias here. But but I think his ceiling is higher than David Silva's. So could you well, imagine well, that I, that that I I don't want to be blasphemous here for, for a Manchester City I, fan. I, I but... Wouldn't go that far <laughs> yet, right? <laughs> but but even even and this this kind of uh, what he's doing right now, right? Kind of makes all these these so-called experts and pundits and prognosticators look really silly, right? I mean, just just because it, the entire thing when, when David Silva was here and Foden was getting, you know, a, a, a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there, you know, people were like, well, the only way he can get better is if he goes out on loan and, play, and plays every day. Well, this puts a light to all of that, right? Because it shows you exactly what he was being taught whilst being an understudy to David Silva, right? He he learned a lot from David Silva. Playing in spots helped him by not putting a, a lot of pressure on him. I mean, he's 20 now, right? So he, he was like in the city first team on and off for the last, what, two years. So not having that that pressure on him by allowing him to come along at his at at a good pace and and being able to to study the way Silva you know operated and played um sometimes on the pitch with him at the same time but a lot of times just in, in training it has it is it is making him into the player that that he's turning out to be and and he's going to be very 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 good you know um david silver is a is a big shoe to fill right two or two big shoes to fill but he's off to a good start and you could and i texted you yesterday about his goal right but it's not even just the goal it's the things that he does off of the ball it's the things that he does in support of an attack it's it's his it's his defense right and even though we were talking about the, you know the back line but he he does not loiter on the pitch at all right so if he has the ball he he's do he's doing positive things with it if he if he has to go back in defense he is committed to going back on defense and harrying harrying the bar carrier right so it's it's all of those things that I think him having to I'm going to say quote unquote wait his turn that has provided him with with the the, the wherewithal to to do what he's doing now and even and even now if you listen to Pep Pep praises him all the time but the one thing he keeps saying is that he has to learn to play. In more than one gear, right? Because he, you know, is, and I guess as a young player, that probably is it, that he's constantly going fast all the time. You know, what Pep is trying to get him to do is go fast, but know when to slow down, right? And and don't keep going fast all the time. Because you keep going fast all the time, your brain is going to be faster than your feet. And you could see that sometimes with him. 
but he's learning to 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 harness that and and play the way that that he needs to play to to be like an optimal player. I mean, I, I that goal yesterday. I mean, it, that was. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 come up big in in a couple of big games now against these big teams. Um, he, he was, I thought he was similarly as fantastic against Chelsea um a, about a month ago. But Ted, thank you for coming on, and and congrats to your again the the Death Star that I call Manchester City taking <laughs> out taking out Alderon yesterday, which was Liverpool. Right. Um, yeah well thank you again for coming right, on that thank you for having me guys and anytime well mr trim thank you for coming on we're gonna move on to the next segment of the pod today and talk a little i don't really know what to call this comedic show um but it was basically the comedy seller but in footballing form um goalkeeping yeah. form even Go- yeah yeah goalkeeping <laughs> form specifically um but, but yeah let's talk about everton united a game that was actually entertaining for once uh I, I don't know why the united games that i've watched with you have not been um but this one was actually entertaining 3-3 the the final score and as Rihan so pointedly noted in our notes, a uh, pretty terrible day for <laughs> to be a goalkeeper uh, on either side. Um, Rihan, basically this game was given up by the, go- it, the goalkeepers. It was basically a game of who wants to lose more. Um, and ultimately, <laughs> I think even though it was a draw, United definitely lost more than they, they should have, at least in a uh, sense. So walk me through the comedy errors that happened in this game. And we'll of course have to focus on David De Gea. And I mean, this, this game, uh, as I put in our notes here, errors by both keep goalkeepers sandwiched by a couple really nice goals. I mean, one out, out of this well, world yeah. goal by Bruno Fernandez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 a pretty good goal from from James Rodriguez too. Um, look, so so Everton were starting or without um, Jordan Pickford. Who I think was out with an abdominal injury, and so they started their backup keeper, Swedish uh, Olsen, and the guy just just didn't look like he could move his feet for ninety minutes. Um, none more obvious of an example of that than the third goal scored by United with McTominay um, winning the header on a free kick. And I think Everton's keeper is still falling at the moment. I don't know if he's hit the ground yet. He could barely shuffle over and it was, it was just really sad to watch him try to save that. Um, Not to be outdone by, David De Gea, especially in the first half, uh, palming it out to Abdullah Decore, who just trickled the ball into the net. And then the third goal, which yeah, we can throw blame around there. I, I think I think Harry Maguire has to take some blame there for sure. He dropped he dropped so early into the free kick and, and held 
Calvert-Lewin and I think Keane, who headed the ball onto Calvert-Lewin, held at least three Everton players onside. You could throw blame maybe onto Twanzebe, who gave away a free kick very needlessly in the last minute of the last 15 seconds, really, of the game. But ultimately, David De Gea was very afraid to come out to challenge the ball and ended up coming out too late, caught in no man's land, and Dominic Cavalluin does what he does and just scores a tap-in. And, um, and Everton, it did in the most un-Everton of ways, took a defeat, took a defeat <laughs> and, and grabbed a draw from it. Grabbed a draw, grabbed points from from the draw from the jaws of defeat there. Um and now we're in this situation where it feels like we are really we've hit rock bottom for uh David De Gea, who has gone from four years ago where he was undoubtedly Manchester United's best player. Not like not like oh, best keeper, not even best keeper. Yeah, almost real. Yeah, he's a fax away from <laughs> from. I mean, it's really funny to think about the domino effect of that because, not that I miss him, but Tibor Courtois <laughs> would probably still be on Chelsea at this point. Uh, yeah. It just it's just a very interesting. There's an alternate universe where David de Gea is like a three time Champions League winner. Um, but yeah, he went from 2017-18 where he was second in uh, post-shot XG difference, which is a goalkeeping stat. He stopped 6% of crosses and he had just about half, 0.5 defensive actions outside of the penalty area where four years later, he's now sitting 15th in post-shot XG difference. He stops the second fewest or second smallest percentage of crosses in the league and he's gonna his actions outside the penalty area have decreased by a third so it's it's really tough to watch now because this guy was unstoppable for for two to three years and was the reason the only reason that manchester united were even in the running for trophies at the time and and now he seems like the biggest hindrance for them. Yeah, it is kind of sad. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. It is kind of sad to see David De Gea's fall from grace. I, I, it's hard to kind of put a, like a pin in it. Like, you know what I mean? It's pinpoint exactly why this happened. Um, it's like he literally almost went to Real Madrid and then fell off the face of the earth. Like, in terms of form, it, it, there's a, I mean, Correlation does not imply causation at all, but there's a correlation between those two dates and or that one date and and I, I don't really have an explanation for it. I don't think anyone does. I think he has slowly but surely lost a lot of confidence. He has come into criticism, especially um within the Spanish national team. Um I, I mean it, it just hasn't has he hasn't turned to that mystic, mystical level of being the top, especially the top shot stopper in the world, potentially, at, at, you know, four years ago. And I'm not sure what it takes to get back to that level, unfortunately. It's, it's actually, like, one of the, the mysteries that I have about 
United and De Gea that I just can't figure out. But it, it, he is actually actively co- costing the points now. Actively costing the points. Yeah, and and there's like almost a weird mental block too, like where where I kind of mentioned the amount of times he's coming out of the penalty area to actually to deal with things. Like it's not even just in the penalty area. Like you saw in the third goal, he he's now like afraid to come out of the six yard box a lot of the times and so it feels mental block maybe but his his numbers have been going have been really declining since the 2017-18 season anyway so leaves my question to you Elias as our more resident um aficionado with the Spanish national team Kepa obviously is nowhere near that number one spot anymore um and De Gea looks like it's a matter of when, not if, um, he loses his starting job at Manchester United to Dean Henderson, <laughs> who yeah. is now in line to take over the number one spot, the number one goalkeeping spot for the Spanish national team. And, and who, who might we see starting the first game of the Euros? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good point. So largely Luis Enrique has stayed with that De Gea through thick and thin. Um, he's just been dedicated to keeping him in the, you know, starting 11. I mean, there have absolutely been questions being asked. But the one player that's actually, within the last year, started to get a little bit more playing time with Spain, and I would, I would probably say this this started, you know, last year especially, um, Unai Simone is Atletico Bilbao's, or excuse me, Atletico Bilbao's uh, starting keeper and he has had even more prominently the last season. This season also had an incredible year. I mean, if you look at Bilbao's defensive record, it doesn't actually look great. I mean, he himself and their their defense as a whole, they've kept, I think it's uh, four clean matches only out of the 21 matches that they've played in La Liga. So 20% of their games have been clean sheets. But specifically what I want to point out that may not be ideal is that He's conceded about 1.2 goals per 90, and that does seem a little bit high. But for a defense like Bows, that's been, I think the clinical term is booty cheeks this season, leaving them in 11th. <laughs> and quite frankly, the mid-table team, especially the, the problems that they had with Garitano and him being you know sacked. I, I want to point out his his record from last season just briefly in which he conceded a total of 28 goals the entire season and had 12 clean sheets across all 34 games and for a mid-table side like Bill Bow, that's pretty impressive and I think two of his top qualities are, are definitely his passing ability and his shot stopping ability I mean both things that fit perfectly for Spain so I think he he his first cap for Spain last season I Really, really hope that he gets more going forward. I don't know if it will be enough, I will say, for him to start at the Euros. I think De Gea is almost the safe choice. I know that sounds weird to say in the context of this this conversation, but he's almost a safe choice in that you kind of know what you're getting. You, you expect those mistakes almost now from De Gea. But if you can mitigate that with dominant, I would say not possession, but dominant attacking play, then you're basically running up the Chelsea playbook and saying we can score more than the other. So it, I think Luis Enrique will probably bet on David De Gea being the starting keeper, but look out and I would not be surprised if Unai Simone is. And, 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 I, and I would note 
too, like like you were talking about for last season, Unai Simon leaded or sorry, led <laughs> led La Liga in a post shot XG difference. So you're not wrong. He was he was arguably the best keeper in La Liga last season. Yeah. From there, should we? Yes. No. No. Take the words out of my mouth. Go with it. Run. Yes. <laughs> Just gonna say, shall, shall we move on to a bit of a look back um, to the one game before the weekend uh, that we were not able to cover in our in our last pod? Um, Chelsea Spurs on Thursday, last Thursday, Chelsea came out and won one nil. Um, probably, probably not unlucky, but um, a more clinical Chelsea team probably wins that by two maybe three goals um but elias can you give me your thoughts on how this chelsea team looked um in this game and you don't have to compare to to frank lampard right as a whole but at least in terms of the last month and a half or so what impressed you about about their uh, game against spurs I mean, I'll start with Chelsea, but I actually have more to say. Okay. So starting with Chelsea, um, you said it best to me when you texted me. I think it was during after this game. This team looks so well. Um, what I mean by is it takes a good coach to recognize the wild players that you need and put them in the best position to be successful. I think the perfect is Mason Mount. So... Frank Lampard put Mason Mount in you what do you want to call it it was it wasn't an 8 and it wasn't really a 6 and it, it was somewhere in between by the by the end it was a, it was an in between yeah by the end it was somewhere in between an 8 and a, and a 10 but but not so much of to uh Mason's fault himself i think there was just a little lack of direction in what position exactly. he was supposed to be playing but that that in and of itself was the critical problem, is that there was confusion among the players about which positions they should be playing. One of the, the crucial you know parts of this Lampard, I guess, era is that he lacked, I think, the consistency to play those players almost stubbornly in, in certain positions, whether you get it right or wrong. And that's what Tuchel is starting to do. You're starting to see, right, that he he's understood from watching Chelsea that Mason Mount is a, a number eight, right? He is an out-and-out number eight. And quite honestly, I, I think he, he shined, especially in this game, right? He scored against Sheffield. Um, I think in the, the, excuse me, the Spurs game specifically, he absolutely bossed that midfield. Like, he was running circles around the entirety of Spurs' midfield, honestly. Like, it's not like Hoiberg was dragging him down that much, but um, it, it's something it's something that we haven't really seen from Mason Mountain and his ability to kind of be loose, fill Foden away. Um, so I think that the biggest thing that I took away from Chelsea is that they have this sense of an identity, right, that we talked about, this, this idea that they have a game plan they they know how to execute, and that's what they're going to run with for the rest of the season. So that's that's my my thoughts on on Chelsea. I'm sure you were happy with the result, but I think it's probably I, I, I'm sure you're happy with the result, especially given that a it was a win, and b it could have been more. Sans you know lack of uh, 
being clinical. Yeah, and uh, and, and like you're saying, um, look, Mason Mount has shown now under two different coaches, and being a Chelsea player, if he's a Chelsea player for the rest of his career, he'll probably have like six more. He'll perform for any coach you give him. Um, and he's led the team in shot-creating actions for 90 since Tuchel has come in. He was leading the team before then as well. And um, I think the impressive thing with him right now is he, his positions that he's picking up in between the lines are really, really good um, and and really effective. He's He's got to obviously fine-tune, I think, his final third, um, just being more clinical, like I said. It, Loved the goal that he scored against Sheffield United. More of that, but um, but yeah, th- there's room to grow there. From a Spurs side, Elias, they just looked all over the place. I I mean, yes, I didn't yes, know exactly yes. what they were trying to do. Um, it seemed like a lot of man marking, and yet they were caught out of. I mean, they were just this field. The pitch looked huge for some reason. The when Chelsea had the ball, the pitch looked huge because of so much space that, that Chelsea was finding themselves in. But but the problem is that Spurs put themselves in that position, right? They, yeah. they put themselves they, – they essentially gave Chelsea that space during this game. So what I think Mourinho – I don't want to say failed to realize, but maybe it was more something that he couldn't combat, is the fact that when you play a game without Harry Kane, right, you're already – you're down significant – xg what you're you're down a significant player right so you know that there he's going to be playing defensively but also he's going to be playing extra defensively because he only has one to maybe two if you call lucas like uh, top attackers that he wants to use so if you're jose Mourinho, why don't you just play two stacked lines of four and then two up front like usually do and defend compactly instead of trying to essentially outnumber the midfield and not succeeding because you're up against superior players with better talent, right? It it, it almost felt like a recipe for not disaster, but it, he, he I don't think he set up the team to succeed in this game. Then again, that there's a pretty fair point in that there's no sample data to go off with this Chelsea team, so I, I almost, <laughs> I almost kind of feel for him in that sense. Yeah, it was a, it was a gamble, really. Um, yes, it was a big gamble. I, I expected them to sit more. They didn't. They, uh, they didn't press a lot in the first half, but then tried to press more in the second half, and and I thought they found a bit more success there. But at the same time, I think Chelsea found space in the second half as well but that, that i think that was more because spurs were but forced to go for the game more but it's well it's not even that where okay answer answer this question for me and this is why i'm so interested to see what happens with chelsea and atletico in a couple of weeks but where where do you think chelsea were successful in that second half like where on the pitch i i thought they were still able to find spaces in between in between the lines um, between uh, in Don, not in Dombele, sorry, Hoiberg, Sissoko, and then <clears throat> and then the back line, excuse me, in the back line of, of Spurs, I thought they were still able to find spaces there, um, but I think that came more off of Spurs trying to press 
and not and not doing it as a team necessarily. Um, it, it looked like a lot of they saw what happened in the first half where Kovacic and Jorginho, who in each game under Tuchel so far have been really, really linked to each other in in possession and always are close by each other and able to find each other for passes. I think they tried to stop that on an individual level. Um, and Michael Cox write, writes a great article about this game and, and dives deep into that second half, especially from, from Spurs. But they didn't press as a team very well. Um, and I think maybe at the end of the day, they feel, they'll feel a bit aggrieved that they could have gotten a draw at the end of it. But ultimately, their best chances were two headers and... And we know that, just, I mean, headers are just much harder chances. Those are, those, you know, you wouldn't say they're necessarily half chances, but, but you, you're not expecting, um, you can't, ex- you can't rely on that being your way to get back into games. Right. Oh, yep. These two teams both have a lot of work to do. I think to, to get into the top four, um, Chelsea plays Newcastle next Monday. And Spurs plays West Ham this weekend. Gives us a will give us a good reminder of that wild three three from the first couple of weeks of the season, um, where Spurs went three 0 up after the first fifteen minutes, um, only for Newcastle or sorry West Ham to score three in the last ten, uh, and the goal of the season candidate in there, Manuel Lanzini. <laughs> uh, should we take one more break, Elise, before we get out of here? Let's let's take a break and we can do a little roundup from uh, from the rest of the Premier League featuring our boy Ali Watkins. Yes, I think I think we're gonna basically just talk about it. It'll be the Ali Watkins roundup, but we'll be right back. All right, Rian. Last segment, Premier League roundup. I mentioned Ali Watkins at the start. Let's do it. Let's let's talk a little Aston Villa Arsenal. Um, I almost I'm gonna be honest. I almost feel for Arsenal because I think Villa's t- tactical uh, strategy for this game was uh, bully the black kid, in which uh, Saka featured <laughs> no fewer than like ten fouls, <laughs> I, I believe. Um, don't know if that was necessarily an effective strategy, but I mean, I guess clearly it was because they won. So it was the Cobra I'm, Kai, I'm of course being very the Cobra Kai sweep the leg <laughs> just for like 45 yeah. minutes, and then by the second half, they had to move Saka onto the complete other wing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they had to wasn't... drop him into like left back just to just yeah. to protect him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just wasn't nice. It was just mean, honestly. But of course, I'm being extremely facetious and uh, not probably not giving enough credit to this Villa side with Ali Watkins um, just putting up a massive performance for someone his age. Just truly, truly a, a, an impressive performance. What, what were your thoughts on on Villa and specifically, um, you know, a friend of the podcast, Ali Watkins? <laughs> uh, was a di- this is a different type of Villa win, um, and I think people. I've seen a couple of people saying that they wouldn't have won this game last last season, like this type of game, because they couldn't defend for their lives last year. And also they've got one of the, I, I don't know what to rank them, but maybe but three or five best goalkeepers in, in the Premier League at the moment, which is in Emmy Martinez. But like you said, um, Ollie Watkins, he just doesn't stop running. And um, 
the, the guy's so much energy. One of the signings of the season, easily. Um, I think just his his work rate up top is what I think could bring him to the next level and and make him effective on it on on a quote unquote bigger team. Um, he's second to Mo Salah in defensive pressures in the final in the attacking third of the pitch. He's sitting third in non penalty expected goals behind Dominic Calvert Lewin and Patrick Bamford. He's got ten goals himself this season. He, he's doing it all. I mean, it's a great debut Premier League season for Ollie Watkins and on a day when Grealish wasn't necessarily at his best the other guys picked up picked it up I mean it was a mistake from Cedric in the first like two minutes of the game but um Bertrand Traore who was also a signing this season for who came from Lyon he picks it up and and delivers a, a pretty good assist to Ollie Watkins he gets a little lucky on the deflection but Nevertheless, uh, Villa last season would have never been able to hold out 88 minutes, a 1-0 lead. And um, it came, obviously, thanks from a big, big save by Emmy Martinez against Shaka on that free kick. But, yeah, Villa just ticks along. And um, and we'll see how long they can keep this up. I mean, they're, they're in a great position to finish top eight obviously they're gonna eclipse their points from last season they're i think they're already approaching they're very close to their amount of points from last season and we're they are. just yeah. halfway um into the season they're just past halfway into the season for them so yeah uh, ollie Watkins. there are good buys in the championship <laughs> they exist it's true, it's true. <laughs> they they do i mean you just have to be very specific about it right i i for one would make the argument that Patrick Bamford would be the perfect replacement at Wolves when eventually Raul Jimenez moves to Atletico uh, in my dreams. So I'm just <laughs> throwing that out there. Anyway, I'm not going to will that into existence. But yes, Ali Watkins, I love that statistic about pressures in the final third because one of Mo Salah's, I think, incredible traits is his ability to press and is, is just his stubborn ability to keep running uh it's kind of insane it is he's underratedly fast um and so ollie watkins to be second to that is take a bow like genuinely i'm not i'm not like trying to be brazil saying like that's really impressive to be able to keep up and just run it out like weston mckinney style and just He's he's a fun player to watch. He's a really fun player to watch. I'm really I genuinely enjoy watching, um, and having watched like the the Villa game. So I have to I have to give Villa props for that. <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna sit sit here and say Jack Real should have done better because everyone everyone <laughs> can have a game like that. But Rian, I don't know if you uh if you want to go down that road. I'm just no no, no. he he wasn't yeah he wasn't at his he wasn't a hundred percent. Jack Grealish against against Arsenal this time. I mean, to be fair to him, he completely bullied them in, in the game at the Emirates. So I'll give him a, a pass for the for this one. If he was maybe seventy percent of the normal Jack Grealish, well, from there, Elias, the top four race very very messy. Um, it became pretty messy after after Chelsea's kind of resurgence these last couple of weeks, and it's been helped by. A weekend where Leicester drew against still struggling Wolves, still heavily struggling Wolves who 
their only win this month is that weird, weird game against Arsenal during the week yeah. where where uh, David Luiz for the first time got wrongfully probably sent off and yeah. and um Bert Leno just brain fart 40 <laughs> yards from his own goal um yeah uh, uh it's it's a bad draw for for Leicester obviously i think i said last week that they needed to get 6 points in this week yeah. because of the team that they were playing they got 3 against Fulham they dropped 2 against Wolves and now they've got Liverpool uh, a a a backs against their wall, Liverpool, by the way, like fully backs against the wall. Then Villa and then Arsenal, who granted are not at we know they're not Arsenal in that sense this season, but they are still a very tough team to score against for the most part. You know they're gonna be solid organization wise and make it hard. I don't know for if you. I would go that far, but I, I get what you're saying. I, I, I genuinely, I'm they're not at least, shit all over you. I see what you're organized. saying. They're at least organized. Mistakes can happen with them. In, I think in they're the, in the clown car or on the field. I don't. I'm not <laughs> I, sure. We're gonna have to agree to disagree here. I think they're defensively <laughs> organized, but they yeah, and they the, have in a, the same way, same way that mistakes. United and Harry Maguire are organizationally oh, strong in the back. Yeah, of course. No, continue, continue. <laughs> anyway. With, Three games, three very tough upcoming games for uh, for Leicester. Elias, are you just a little worried for Leicester? Are you feeling okay about them? They're sitting four points ahead of Chelsea right now um, on the same amount of games, by the way. So that, that lead has shrunk. It's shrunk. It definitely has shrunk. Um, am I worried about, worried about Leicester? But I'm more worried... For the kind of reason, I'm more worried that they haven't actually been able to score goals, and that's not that's not something that I'm used to seeing in you know within Leicester in the last three years. It, they're going through a goal drought, right? In the last what three games, they've scored two goals, right? It's it's not that's not going to get you to just frankly not going to be able to get you three points. I mean, let's be honest, it's not. It's also not like they were playing, especially in the Wolves game, right? An incredibly you know inform wolves like they're they're playing a team that's so far depleted and by the way that game was boring as hell like i i, mean, I would have watched paint dry it, <laughs> rather in comparatively to that game so um i'm i'm a little worried about but just because they haven't been able to find the net and i don't i don't think that's honestly a product of passage of play and and um pass into the final third i think it's actually just more about finding the net and especially finding, I would say, <laughs> players through the channel. That's kind of the one thing that stood out to me in watching them. They, they haven't been able to connect through the channel in between kind of the the, the center backs <laughs> and the fullbacks um, in, in the last couple of games as much as I'm used to seeing. So um, just something that something to look out for with Leicester. And I think it's, it's definitely something to be worried about, but... I'm more worried about Southampton, if I'm honest. But yeah, <laughs> that's that's fair. From a lesser point of view, it does feel <clears throat> I feel like a little bit of an of an over reliance right now on on Harvey Barnes. I think to to create stuff right now. I think James Madison's been in good form, but but Harvey Barnes, to his credit, Agreed. he's, he's been great this season. But uh, a bit a bit too much reliance, I think, on his like dribbling and and 
getting into the area without Jamie Vardy right now. Um, yeah. On to Southampton. <laughs> Five straight yeah. losses for Southampton. Um, 12 goals in their last Wait, two no, games. it has to be four. Four. Because right? they, they had the back Arsenal games, and they, they won. They beat Arsenal and then lost to Arsenal 3-1. And then they had three games since then. Either way, yes, at least four losses in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> 12 goals in the last two games. In the last two games, one I, side has okay. ended. All right, that's one the... side has... <laughs> I mean, one... <laughs> I am literally stating the facts. I'm literally stating the facts. Okay, sure, but it's... it's oh, that's in so last... mean. Okay. In their last two games, one side has ended with nine men in each game. And only one of those games were they the team that finished with nine men. It wasn't like they finished with them. Um, oh my God. Look, we don't have to touch too much on the Manchester United game. I mean, that... No, it's just... It, look, what's funny to me is that you could have fully just said they lost 9-0 to United. Instead, you just... <laughs> You made it like try and look better, and you're like, "Oh, right. 12, they gave up three goals to Newcastle." I feel like that might be arguably worse. Uh, it, it probably is. It, it no, it definitely is. Probably, it would have been better if they had won like four three. Then no, I think we're not having this conversation. But of course, at, of the, course. Sa- at the same time, I am very confused by Southampton. Now they went on such a good run of form. Nothing happened specifically, right? Uh, other than yeah. Arsenal apparently changing their entire course of the season. But I'm I'm yeah, I'm very surprised by what happened with South I, I don't there's no this is like the um the conundrum that I have with not Chelsea, uh with David De Gea. Like I don't understand what happened. There was no reason for Southampton to all of a sudden completely shit the bed. But is it possible that they reached a, a ceiling, you know or maybe Liverpool were at rock bottom. I think there's, I think there's a, a, a conversation in or a position which Southampton has reached somewhat of a ceiling in the last two months, and I think that played on form have reached a low point, and that has combined for Southampton winning out. Whereas now, now you're seeing the the tides kind of turning. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of truth to to that to what you just said. Um, <clears throat> I think a a decent amount of it too is something that I briefly touched on last week's episode is that you know Southampton have outperformed their xG more than any other team. Like the the amount of free kick goals and another one that James Ward Prowse scored <laughs> this past weekend. The amount of free kick goals and and goals that they've gotten off of um, corners because of great deliveries and and just a few like really good goals from outside the box in general from Southampton. Um, I think that's kind of carried them, carried points for them a lot this season. And, and recently they're not, they're not getting enough of those. And I mean, they look, they are lost when they don't have 11 men on the pitch. That's a real, that's a real issue. And, and um I hope that that loss to United doesn't isn't what kind of ends Hassan Huddle's chances at at any sort of bigger club. Um, but it's it's a hard one to uh, to swallow, and it's a hard one to 
kind of feed to fans if you're someone who's about to hire him and, and you know, yeah we got the you know the guy who lost 9-0 two seasons in a row <laughs> <laughs> like you know the guy who yeah. at least we did an encore um yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Our coach, twice right? twice yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um yeah uh it's on un- it's unlucky for for house and huddle for the most part i think but we're not worried about them they're not going to get dragged into the relegation fight obviously but uh but yeah it feels like they've peaked and even if they finish mid-table this season, no one's going to fault them. So I, I think it, it's a shitty week for Southampton. And it's been a shitty last couple of weeks. But um, there's still a good team in there. And there's still a team that's going to put up, I think, good results for the, for the remainder of the season. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that's completely valid. I think they're absolutely still a quality side. Um Ward Prowse's free kicks and just in general, I him as a player are kind of insane. I would love to see a stat over the last season between him and Messi on free kicks. I haven't seen any, oh, yeah. but I would love I would love to see their expected free kick tally. Just food for thought that just popped in my head. But yeah, uh, disappointing I think for Southampton, but they have a little bit more relaxed of a schedule um, over the next few weeks, so. I'm hoping that can actually shift their form, but it's it's hard. It is hard to like. They need a win. They, they need yeah, they need yeah, an yeah, easy they win. Just, they need not yeah, even yeah. like a. They need an easy win, um, or they need one where they yeah they, no they need a win. They need to really like let their frustration out on a team, <laughs> and and yeah, thought yeah, it yeah, maybe no, would have Newcastle once they went down to ten men, but no, um, no, 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 no. Then it became nine men. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it didn't get any better. Um. Yeah, I think that's that's it though, from my end. Have we, have we reached the end? I think I think it's just about that bachelor time for me. Oh, the bachelor started. Oh my god! Wow, it's already eight oh three. Rihan needs to sprint over to the TV right now. And yeah, low key, I'll I'll probably I'll probably do that too. So <laughs> that makes two of us. But yeah, anyway, thank you all for joining. As always, we will be back in a couple days talking a little La Liga and some of the uh, shenanigans going on over there. Thank you, as always, for listening, and uh, talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys.